Hey, it's Yona Bud. I've been working with young people and adults for more than 40 years, helping them to live their best life. Now on this podcast, I do it for you too. That's why we call it At Your Best, so I can help you become your best self each week. So let's explore stories from all across Canada and celebrate how strong we really are, even when we feel at our weakest. A young man paddleboarded across all five Great Lakes to raise money for Ramsey Hunt Syndrome. And then a picture with him and the Prime Minister made him the target of internet trolls. We'll talk about how he felt leading up to the meeting with the Prime Minister and why he refuses to let the haters bring him down. And what it says about the state of our politics in our country. And World Parkinson's Day is April 11th, right around the corner. It's on Tuesday coming. So in light of that, I speak with the National Director of Talk Radio, my boss, for the entire Chorus Network, who has Parkinson's disease but lives a full and rich life in spite of it. We talk about what the disease is, why it's important to raise awareness, and how you don't have to let it rule your life. So sit back, relax, and get ready to listen to ways we can help make you be at your best. For those that don't have family, good friends, right? You can just lean on them and, you know, meet other people that are kind of uh, looking for somebody to hang with as well. Like it can just be a great time for everybody. But not if you're on the transit system. Nope. I like that for a segue, right? Not if you're on the transit system. A lot of violence, really a lot of violence. And I was thinking, you know, for years ago, years and years, when my father, many, many, many decades ago, my father had businesses in New York and my brothers and I would go uh, to visit. We'd spend the weekend. I had a cousin there that was very involved in the ticketing business. We had tickets for everything, like the World's Fair and all the great hockey games and baseball games and just anything that was circuses. I went to great circuses um, under the big tent at Madison Square Garden. I great memories. And my mother just didn't want us to take the subway because the subway in New York was yucky and wasn't safe. And wasn't safe not because people were shooting and stabbing and killing each other like we're seeing now, just not safe because, you know, those homeless people were on there. Well, here we are decades later, and like I work with a lot of those people that my mother wanted me to stay away from, and she became extremely proud of the kind of work I did. And I used to remind her about how she used to tell me to walk on the other side of the street um, and just stay away from them because, you know, they smelled and stuff. I used to explain to her mom, you know, it's not really what it's about. But anyway, I digress. Now we're finding out that there's a whole bunch of data that we can start talking about and collecting when looking at the kinds of situations we're having difficulty with on the transit systems. And, you know, there's a study that went on, uh, it's called, um, he's a director, this guy, uh, Mur uh, Murtaza Hader, he's a director of research at Urban Analytics Institute of the Toronto Metropolitan University, it used to be called Ryerson University, now it's Metropolitan Toronto University. And the question I have for you all is one that uh, many people have posed, and you're welcome to give me a call or text us at 877-399-9898. We're going to talk about this again later in the show as well. So if you miss your opportunity now, talk to Leo. He's waiting for your call. He'll get you hooked up for the next, uh, the next segment where this is going to be applicable. But the question is, would you feel better or safer if you knew more information, in other words, if the data that these people are suggesting, these uh, institutes that are collecting this kind of data, if they're if this if the data that they're suggesting we collect uh, will improve your understanding of the safety factors, and would that make you feel safer? That's really the question. Would you feel safer if you knew more? Some people are like, you know, I'd rather not know so much. You know, I'd rather the the least less I know, the better, right? kind of other thing my mother used to say about me when I was younger. She didn't want to hear about all the shenanigans. She said, but the, the least I know, the better. So, the, and, and maybe I'm not so far off that, that kind of thinking as it relates to violence and crime. I, I kind of like to make up my own mind. You know, there's many areas in many cities and many parts of the world that I've been in where people would say, oh my gosh, you can't go there. It's a, just a terrible place to go. And I've had some phenomenal experiences in some of the more uh, tenderloin or uh, colorful parts of, of, of cities around the world where maybe there's a higher level of violence, a higher level of crime, higher level of, of uh, you know, people dealing with mental health and displaced human beings and so on. Um, I kind of drawn to it. Uh, it's not like my where I, I kind of don't, don't get to a hotel there or anything, but certainly try to go and hand out some money or food or do something to try to make a difference. Well, in, in, in 2021, uh, 12 violent incidents were reported 
per 1 million riders in uh, in Toronto in in on the TTC I believe uh, actually this is yeah from the Toronto Transit Commission we're also looking at a Pennsylvania system as well and we're also looking at the system in uh, Alberta but anyway the 12 incidents per 1 million riders compared to two incidents per 1 million riders in 2019 so 2 years later what is that we went from 2 to 12 that's six times i think i could do the math so the the problem is that the transit systems are not collecting the right kind of information in order to be able to create opportunity for change. And that is one way that the transit agencies and experts are trying to come up with solutions to not just to the violence, but to the whole crisis on uh, on transit, you know, with uh, displaced people sleeping on them and having difficult times on them and, you know, people that really need help uh, kind of hiding from the world on, on, on a subway or on a train of some sort. Anyway, the TTC has been, follow, been forwarding all of its data to the City of Toronto. Um, we know that talking to the head of the Amalgamated Transit Union of Canada, it's called for a national task force to consider whether increased mental health funding is required, better housing supports, all that stuff. Yeah, we know, right? We know. We know that's what we need. We just don't have it in place right now. And we know a lot about the guy who committed the most recent horrific crime on the Toronto transit system. And they, in fact, um, there's a, there's a, a bit of a history uh, regarding his mental health. Uh, but according to the Canadian Urban Transit Research and Innovation Consortium, uh, their basic job is to reduce emissions and transit violence against women. They're now turning the light on some of this data to see if we can kind of look at where the curves are, where it's coming from and, and what we can do to kind of, you know, get ahead of it. Uh, there's a consortium membership of 30 universities and colleges, including University of Toronto British, and British Columbia, looking at riders in Halifax, Metro Vancouver and Brampton, other parts of the city. Another organization called TransLink. It's a transit agency in 22 jurisdictions in Metro Vancouver, and they have an exceptional program that they're working on there uh, that provides 24-hour safety. It's There's a lot going on. We're going to do more later on in the show, so stick with us and we'll get back to it. Uh, it's a, an excellent subject to talk about it, but the, 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 the essence of it is would more data make a difference? I guess that's really the key question. And uh, when we come back later, I want to know what you think about that. 877-399-9898. But coming up right now, we're talking about uh, uh, someone who was at their best for sure and uh, paddle boarded across a whole bunch of lakes, went to see the prime minister to uh, raise money. He was raising money for mental health awareness and such, and then got sort of shamed and, and bullied on the internet. Um, after showing a picture of him and the prime minister together, when we come back, we're going to talk with, uh, with that young man about uh, his experience and why, in fact, you know, he, uh, he still keeps going in spite of all of the, the nonsense and the bullying and the horrible things people say and do on social media. I just, I, I shake my head. I wonder who raised them. And if their mother knew what they were writing, chances are they wouldn't write it at all. He's a mental health advocate speaking out after he claims he was subjected to bullying after meeting with the prime minister earlier uh, in the week. He's from Whitby, Ontario. His name is Mike Shorman. He was recognized for his feat of paddleboarding across the five Great Lakes back in 2022 to raise awareness for mental health. But when he posted a picture of him and the prime minister, the advocate was hit with a tidal wave of negativity, the article says. And then the comments just started coming and coming and messages. And he says he saw it in disbelief at the, he looked at the, just looked at it as with such disbelief. Uh, there's a lot of hate, a lot of, a lot of ugly stuff out there. Uh, he was meeting with Trudeau to, for being commended for his tireless work on advocacy for mental health, that Shorman was, uh, particularly his feat of becoming the first person with a disability to cross the Great Lakes. And uh, the glory of being recognized quickly turned a bit sour. Uh, but uh, the trip to the Parliament was a proud moment for him. He'll go on to tell us, as he's our guest this evening. After going against all odds in the life and in the water, he was diagnosed with a rare neurological disorder called Ramsey-Hunt syndrome back in 2018. And the condition results in the loss of mobility and speech and other neurological impacts. He was a professional paddleboarder. And he was told he'd never paddleboard again. But guess what? Following months of rehab, set out on a mission to paddle the lakes to prove it to himself, raised a bunch of money and awareness for mental health. He is someone at their best. 
my guest this evening, Michael Shorman. Interesting last name for a guy that likes to spend time on the water. Michael, welcome. How are you? I'm very well, Yona. How are you? Good. I'm not the first one to come up with the Shorman joke, am I? No, no. My uh, my my dad tells me on the daily that I owe him royalties for for that name. But um, yeah, no, no. It's uh, I was just trying to trying to make it to shore uh, all summer all summer long last year. Yeah, I'll tell you what, brothers. Uh, you know, we we got you on our radar because first of all, it's a, it's a great story uh, from so many perspectives. You know, from uh, from a radio guy perspective, it's a great story because you know we're going to show the the good, the bad, and the ugly in the world, and kind of what we try to do here. But um, kudos go to you, man. I mean, I'm not quite sure what your syndrome does for you, but you know, I, I got stuff going on. I got OCD, ADD, and anxiety disorder, so yeah. I got my own stuff going on, and. Um, the fact that you're able to kind of get it together when everyone said you couldn't and go back to what you loved the most at one point during your professional athletic career and then turn that into something positive. Um, I, I don't know, man. It's like when people quit smoking, I just, you know, I just take my hat off to them. Uh, I truly see it as something remarkable. So thanks for being here with us tonight and, uh, and sharing your story. Um, Mike, Mike, hang in with us. We're going to just play a clip here of, yeah. um, of something you shared. Uh, when you talked about first being diagnosed. Um, Leo? In 2018, I developed a neurological condition called Ramsey-Hunt syndrome. All the nerves in my face had shattered. It looked like I'd had a stroke. Um, I went from being very athletic to not being able to walk. Wow. So all of a sudden, what's all of a sudden, like over days, weeks, months? Yeah, over, um, over a period of about five days. The, the first wow. symptoms were, you know, it started with a really bad headache. So what it is, is it's a reactivation of the chickenpox virus um, coming back wow. as shingles um, and wow. specific, specific to either your eye or your ear. And in my case, it was my ear and it affected my vestibular system. So it started out as just a headache and then um, vertigo, which I still live with. Um, I don't like to turn my head from side to side and being on unpaved surfaces still is, um, is challenging. Um, so, so being on water is pretty, pretty tough. Um, but, but yeah, no, um, over a period of five days, it just declined. And, you know, I went to different hospitals. I went to three different hospitals and a walk-in and, and they didn't run tests until, um, you know, I ended up missing a, a, 70, a critical 72-hour window for treatment. And, um, and they said, you know, we'll put you on steroids, but, you know, you have missed it. Um, and and we'll, we'll just hope for the best. And so I went into physiotherapy. So, uh, Mike, unlike, unlike shingles, which I know lots of people have had shingles and seem to recover. I, I took Shingrix as a, as an, as a, as a, uh, um, what's it, as an inoculation, as a, uh, yep. as a, as a, a needle for, to prevent that yep. kind of thing. But lots of people get it and don't end up with Ramsey Hunt or is that not true? Yeah, no, Ramsey Hunt's, um, a very rare chronic condition, um, that's, know only a very very small percentage of people get um and and it's brought on by extreme stress i was really burnt out when Mm -hmm. when i got it um i I worked myself kind of into the ground and um and and it just hit me and and took over um but the thing is it can be really mild to really severe uh and in my case it was really severe so, so yeah, no, it's interesting. Um, you know, Justin Bieber announced this past summer that he had Ramsey Hunt syndrome. So, um, oh, that's right, absolutely. So he, you know, he he recently just announced, you know, he'd postponed his tour, and he recently just announced that he'd canceled it about a month ago. Um, and he announced that you know I was crossing Lake Huron last summer when that news broke. And and I was flooded with you know requests by by media and and um, while you were paddling, I, <laughs> while I yeah yeah you know they were calling and and I was like is this about Lake Huron or is this about Justin Bieber and um, <laughs> and they were like it's about both. <laughs> oh my! And, so um, 
but yeah, no, I remember thinking, you know, this is this, you know, it's mild to extreme. No, Olivia Chow had a very mild case of it many years ago. I I believe she just had facial palsy. But for me, um, it severely impacted my hearing on my right side. Um, It, uh, you know, impacted, it obstructed my my vision and and speech impairments and and my mobility. And, um, and yeah, no, it affects people in different ways. So that's, I guess that's a great, just kind of you know jump off here uh affecting your mobility but here you are on unstable ground being on the water on a paddleboard i don't know if anybody's done paddleboarding i've tried it a few times it's a lot of work it's anything but uh you know a, a cruise down the down the lake it's real work you know both upper body and just legs and and balance and all of that um i can't imagine with vertigo what that would feel like but somehow that moved you and motivated you and kind of kept you going tell me how that felt yeah no i think um you know getting back on the water initially was you know i lasted three minutes sitting down that first time um and that was back in 2019 i sat on a board for three minutes um and it put me on the couch for about a day and a half um and then the next week i went out again for for about five minutes and I just used incremental wind building. So three minutes, five, seven, nine. And then I stood up. Um, and, and then in 2021, 20, um, I'd worked myself up to being, being able to try to, to cross a lake. Um, and I attempted to cross Lake Ontario. Um, and, and we made it about halfway across and, and weather just, you know, my guest, uh, this evening is Mike, this evening or this morning, depends on where you are in the country is Mike Shorman, uh, first person with disability to cross all across, uh, all the great lakes on a paddleboard. Plus he spent some time with the prime minister, but listen to what Mike said about his time after meeting with the prime minister, uh, Leo. No, it was really nice to have a moment, and it's a moment, you know, for, for mental health. Yes. And, um, you know, it's, it's very special and exciting. So, Mike, uh, welcome back, and sorry I had to cut you off a little earlier there, but, you know, i got to do what you got to do to keep the lights on. Um, great experience. So I, I wanted to get back to you sharing. The, I want to talk about your time with the Prime Minister and, and all the other stuff that we want to talk about as well here, but I want to go back to that feeling that you had, that rush, that that phenomenal feeling about being able to get back on the board long enough and, and with enough strength and 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 uh, I guess um, uh, discipline and, and commitment to be able to make it across one lake, not let alone a whole bunch of lakes. Um, that must have been just, must have given you your life back at some level, right? Yeah, no, I feel like, you know, it, um, it, it, it gave me hope. Um, yeah. And I felt like I was, I felt like I was coming home to something that, that felt very normal and comfortable to me that, that I thought that I'd lost and that I'd never see again. And, um, Amazing. and it was, um, yeah, no, it was, it was just, um, a really beautiful thing. And, and then yeah, it just, so cool. it makes, it, just it makes me, makes me want to cry. It's just so cool. It's just <laughs> so cool. Uh, but he, not many people know about Ramsey hunt. Um, you know, I'm certainly learning, you know, I did a little research cause I knew I was going to talk to you tonight. Um, what do we need to do? What, what can we do as a society? Um, you're out there trying to promote it, uh, promote awareness, obviously, and, and raise money for it. Um, but like how many people are affected like this? Right. So this is a very, this is a very, very small number. Um, so like, you know, I've attached, like what ended up happening with me was I had a mental health breakdown um, because I wasn't coping. I actually, there was an attempt on my life. I entered, I entered into a mental health treatment facility. Um, so, so while, you know, this does raise, awareness for Ramsey Hunt syndrome and, you know, invisible disabilities. Um, you know, my, I've partnered with, with mental health organizations all across Canada with this um, because of, because of where I went, um, you know, b- before I got back on the paddleboard. 
Um, do you, th- do you but, think it was preventable? Michael, Mike, I, I, do you think you think it was preventable? Like, in other words, you think had your mental health been in uh, in check, I mean, you can't would have, could have, should have, but just to help others, you know, if your mental health isn't in check, did you did you leave it go too long? Perhaps if that's even the right question, I don't know if that's the right question. Yeah. But how do people kind of get ahead of this as, if possible? Um, what with their mental health? Well, it mental health rolling out to something more severe like other neurological diseases. People right. don't realize that that, that right. does that, right? Yeah. So I think, you know, people are born with disabilities and then people acquire disabilities throughout their mm-hmm. life. Um, you know, this was so shocking. Um, you know, I, I couldn't even, I wasn't even able to leave. I didn't leave the house for six months because I couldn't walk. Um, and I was being told I'll never drive, I'll never fly, I'll never paddleboard. I lost my business, my independence, my social life, all all at once. Um, and it was just crippling um, until until and 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 you know, as men, um, we you know men men often you know we we try to be stoic and we try to um, yeah. keep everything bundled up and. And then, and then it just got too much, and I just decided I didn't want to be here anymore. Um, and then on the other side of that, I decided I didn't want I didn't want young people um, because there's a huge mental health crisis in this country with young people. I didn't want yeah. young people to ever feel alone like I felt. Amazing. So let's uh, let's spin this a little bit now. I want to get to the to the people that maybe we don't like so much, uh, the trolls that came out. So you went to see the prime minister. I guess that was a great experience, right? Yeah. Is he is he as tall as he looks on TV? He's pretty tall. He's pretty tall. <laughs> has he ever been on? Has he ever been on a paddleboard? Did you ask him? Yeah, he's been on a paddleboard. We talked about the Great Lakes. Um, Great Lakes Brewery released a limited released a limited edition uh, five crossings pale ale um, with a dollar from every can going towards what I was doing last summer. So I brought him a can of beer, um, and it has a little paddle border on it. And uh, he said, "Oh, I'll drink this." And I said, "No, don't drink that. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's for you to keep as a commemorative item." So the trolls, the trolls. The trolls came out to make you feel like, you know, they, they, to take your glory away. And, of course, you didn't let them because I can just hear that in your voice. Um, what was their beef? Yeah. So, no, it's really, yeah, they they didn't like me. People didn't like me standing next to him. Um, you know, I received an email. I'm actually just looking at it on my phone. Um, it says, you all, you owe all Canadians an apology especially the disabled community, which you represent. Um, So the interesting thing about this is we crossed five Great Lakes. We created one of the largest mental health awareness campaigns in Canadian history this past summer. There's a documentary that is coming out that will roll all across the country and the United States in in September. Um, And they don't see any of that, right? Yeah, this was recognized. You know, I traveled across Ontario before I crossed the Great Lakes asking mayors of all the cities if they would support this and they would support the mental. I met, I met all the mayors um, and I did that because I wanted them to, to support this to help Canadian kids. Um, when this happened, when the final lake was crossed, this was, this was brought up. There was a speech about it in the Ontario Legislative Assembly by a conservative. When I posted that, I did get some I did get some flack from 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 one side um, because I was posting something that a that a conservative posted, um, and then and then it went in the House of Commons and and that was done by a liberal. But the truth is, I've had support from conservatives and liberals municipally, provincially, and federally all across the country with this. But when you post one thing, like yeah. just one picture, 
the other side comes in for the kill because we're in such a space right now. It's crazy. I know. Let me tell you something. You said that someone said that you represent, you know, disabled people when standing next to the prime minister. Uh, I got a bunch of disabilities, both mental and physical, and you can stand for me anytime, brother. I just want you to be clear that you can stand for me anytime. Uh, You know, when you're dealing with life and death stuff where you felt like your life was going to be over, Aren't you? Don't you find that the stuff that people pick on it's 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 so it's mean it's nasty but like it's so trivial no? Yeah no it's just you know I, I just look at it and it's just more of like an annoyance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just yeah. I just it 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 doesn't it doesn't hit, um, and I think part of that is you know. I lasted 28 hours crossing Lake Michigan. <laughs> like, like I've been through harder <laughs> stuff than being called names online. Um, it's yeah, just sure. really unfortunate because these kind of things that visit with the prime minister, these are things that have been afforded to Canadians and people with disabilities who have done these things, who have done big journeys before. Um, and, and this time, um, you know, it, it's just really unfortunate. Like, I feel like, you know, in the digital age when, you know, we're so politically divided in this country, uh, it's just really, it's just really unfortunate. I'm talking to Mike Sherman. He's our guest this evening. Uh, can't thank him enough for being here. He's certainly somebody at his best. You know what? There's a company out there. It's called International HR Company. It's it's called Peninsula. And they polled more than 79,000 businesses across Canada, Ireland, Australia, the UK, and said in the past 12 months, 43% of employers have witnessed employees engaging and talking more about mental health. So you listen to a guy like Ron, who's probably going to be my next best friend. You look at a, a guy like Ron, who's who's got some challenges, didn't even know he had challenges up until three or four years ago, he says, and just a comment, you know, made accommodations in his life for it. You know, I, 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 I wasn't diagnosed with my mental health stuff until later on in life. And I just sort of thought I was just miserable and cranky when it came time to travel. And I couldn't focus on things because I was bored. And, you know, I talked myself through it and I kind of knew better, but really didn't talk to people about it so much. And here's this guy calling us out of nowhere. And um, I believe he's a friend of the show anyway, um, called and just shared right away uh, how he felt and he felt safe on the system. And, and, and I guess we're doing more of that. I think people are more comfortable saying I've got anxiety disorder, or, I've got attention deficit disorder, or I need special accommodations for my learning, or I need, you know, I need, I need certain things um, in my life to make myself more comfortable. You know, I had a situation uh, not long ago where I was dealing with the parent of a client, the parent of a patient, and she was going on and on about financial stuff and hours. And I explained to her that this I don't deal with financial stuff and I don't deal with hours and so on because it's just not something that sits comfortably for me. It causes me anxiety, disorder. My ADD doesn't allow me to focus on things like spreadsheets and so on. It's just very uncomfortable for me uh, to do that. But listen to what somebody says here. I want you to listen to a human resources expert uh, from a TED Talk uh, talking about um, uh, the health advocate, Mark Bailey, speaks out about why it's drastically important that employers take mental health of employees as seriously as they do physical health. If someone showed up with a cane, a wheelchair, or a scooter like me, they certainly make instant accommodation. But if you've got something like Ron's got or stuff that I've got, and it's not so visible, I'm sure, uh, the accommodations aren't so readily available. Listen to this. Understanding that mental health is just as important to address as physical health is the first step that bosses need to take. If an employee comes to you with a broken leg, you wouldn't say, your life is great. Everything's fine. Suck it up, right? Yeah, suck it up, buttercup. But, you know, we're going on, like, people are, all these workplace wellness solutions and companies that are putting together programs and making, you know, mental health care available to their employees. Listen, I'm not one for slamming or shaming anybody, certainly not, you know, my employer's employer's competition. But there's an organization that is also in the media business, a big organization that's in the media business, um, and um, has a lot of different 
businesses under its umbrella. They have a day. They have a specific day of the of the year that's called a a, a Let's Talk Day, and uh, they talk about mental health. Raise a whole bunch of money if you use their platforms. You can raise money by you know donations being made through their networks uh, to mental health. But if you look at what they do to their employees, I was one of them. If you look at how they treat their employees after 20 years, 30 years, people that are lifers, as we say in the industry, that, that are that, that, the, the, the pinnacles, the peak of, of, of an organization, the, the, the best of the best, and they treat people with such disregard that they cause such severe mental health issues. I have so many friends from that organization that are no longer there. They were part of a, lead, a bloodletting of 220-odd people one day and 30 the next and 40 the next without any real consideration for how that makes somebody feel. I was let go. My, my boss was nice enough to call me directly. I was let go, not let go, but my show was canceled on that network because of who knows why, at the peak of when people wanted to talk about mental health and addiction issues. And, you know, without any warning, any, 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 like, so for me, it was no big deal because it's kind of something I do. Um, I do because I, it works for me. I enjoy it. I, I, I love the work that I do and I'm able to share with people, but you know, I, I knew I would find my footing somewhere else. And it turns out I found a much better place to land, but I'll tell you, you can't go out there and say that we're all about women's rights and then treat women poorly, or we're all about looking after people's mental health and treat your employees poorly. Employers need to do a better job. And giving somebody a $500 credit for, for, for therapy doesn't cover much. You can't get a lot of therapy for 500 bucks. I'm sorry to say, my friends. Insurance companies, when it's covered under your insurance plan, you don't get much. I think you get a maximum, depending on the kind of coverage you have. But I think the best program I've seen is like $1,500 for, for mental health and psychological care to see a psychologist or a social worker. Well, at 150 bucks an hour, that's 10 sessions. And, you know, maybe you can get started in 10 sessions, but it's certainly not enough to, to keep you going. And now, now, now you're kind of hooked on it and you kind of kind of pay it out of pocket. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for employers to provide care in their facilities during business hours without the employee having to do anything other than signing up. There's a couple of companies that I coach for where that's provided. They can, the, the, the staff can come to me for coaching and, and uh, business type learning um, and, and strategies and stuff, or they can talk to me about some of the more, you know, therapeutic type things they want to talk about, some of the mental health issues and difficulties with their families at no cost to the employee. All they have to do is book my time. The employer pays me. So I give them a discount. They may, they provide a discount. They provide the service to their employees. We all win, right? Everybody wins. I'm looking for more of that. Not necessarily for me, but for what I'm doing for other corporations. Not, not having to try to work through an insurance company, fill out the forms, wait forever to get approved. And they have to approve the person. You got to find somebody they like. Like, that's not how this works, guys. You find somebody you connect with. And that's who you do therapy with. And sometimes it takes a bunch of people to try before you make that actual connection. So I think employers have to do a much better job since employees are starting to speak up more. And if they're talking about, you know, uneasy mental health, we best take it seriously because an employee who doesn't have good mental health under control doesn't do a very good job at the office either. So nobody wins and uh, it's just bad all the way around. going to talk about tips and ways that you can help your children become the greatest the, the greatest of the all time the greatest you of all time being them themselves not sure how i explain that properly it's the great you know, i like to call people guyotes the greatest you of all time so that not everyone's trying to be the best of the best but the best of their best is what's important so you want to teach your kids how to be the best of their best whenever you have that opportunity and it's not just something that that happens, you know, it's like when they go outside and take the kid outside to throw a ball around or play, you know, play something, uh, play some hockey or kick a soccer ball or play catch or football or go for a run or teach them how to fix something or build something or garden or whatever it is. Right. Those same attributes, the same things that you take a kid out to teach that are physical, you can teach them things that are more psychological, that help form who they are going forward which is a big part of what parenting is all about. It's about modeling the best for the best that you can for your kids to follow. 
you know, kids don't just, uh, children just don't, you know, suddenly wake up and sound like their mom or sound like their dad or have gestures like their dad or gestures like their mom. They learn it over time. So first of all, everybody, including children, have to have a goal. It's very important that you teach your children or you teach your young ones that there needs to be some kind of goal. And that goal should have a vision attached to it. So what does that mean as you're explaining to a child, you know, so how do you see yourself? Well, I, I really, I want to play in the NFL or I want to play in, you know, in the, I want to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Or I want to play, you know, for the Vancouver Canucks. I, I want to, you know, I want to play, I want to play professional hockey, right? And you look at them and you say, okay, close your eyes for a moment and visualize what that, what that looks like. What does that look like? You see yourself in the uniform? You see yourself in the dressing room? Do you see yourself on the ice with some great hockey player of that time? Because if you can see it, if you can have a vision, if you can take your goals and put them into a visual so that when you close your eyes, you know what you're striving for. You know, during very difficult times of training, many of the athletes that I've worked with over the years have said to me, you know, what keeps them going sometimes is closing their eyes and working on the vision that we share, that I, that I help them share when getting into certain training modes, because being able to close your eyes when it hurts, when it's hard to push through that next mile or that next 50 push-ups or the next whatever parts of your physical training, to be able to kind of close your eyes for a moment and visualize yourself on the podium or visualize yourself winning or visualize yourself finishing. Sometimes it's just finishing the race or finishing the event. So it's very important that they can see what those goals look like. And that's a vision. And then give them dreams so that they're able to dream for that vision to come true. It's very important that they get they're able to, to dream, that they that they can close their eyes and have these these dreams come true. And dreams do come true. You know, there's uh earlier I was watching the uh, the Masters golf tournament and they were showing a young man who is, uh, I think, in second or third place. He's an amateur, young, very young man. He's an amateur. And they showed pictures of him when he was like two or three wearing a uniform, wearing a hat and a shirt from the event that he was playing in today, uh, likely to finish in the top 10, which is a big deal. He could envision it. He had dreams. He dreamed. He could dream. He, he could dream based on the thoughts and the visions and the goals that he had for himself that his parents, I'm sure, started you know, helping him develop at a very young age. Then it's very important to give your children the support that they need to reach those dreams, to, to be able to take that vision and make it real, giving them hugs, giving them the discipline that they need along with those hugs, making sure that if they say, Ma, I don't want to get up and go now. It's too early in the morning. I don't want to go to practice. And being able to love them on their way to practice as opposed to fighting with them on the way to practice. I saw so many parents told me stories of having to get up early in the morning, take their kid to, you know, for some form of, of basketball practice or swimming practice or any kind of, you know, some form of team related activity early in the morning, you know, much earlier than school would start. You know, I remember being on the swim team for just a little while because I hated it, but I was on the swim team. I just thought it was a nice place to meet girls. Um, and, and actually it was, but anyway, I was on the, on the swim team and I had to be at school at like, I don't know, 10 after seven class didn't start till nine o'clock. So you'd swim and then you take a shower. Some of us took a shower and, uh, got ready for class and, you know, maybe had a little breakfast, a little snack. And then, cause you can't really eat too much before you go swimming. But I, I hated getting up early in the morning. Like it just, it wasn't, I wasn't motivated to get up early in the morning. So having, and it was, and my mother would argue with me. I mean, it was because she was just trying to be good and try to help. Right. And, uh, you know, she'd kind of be a little more aggressive in terms of how she got me out of bed. So you want to love them on their way to discipline and support, right? You want to love them on the way there. You don't want to fight with them on the way there because it takes all the fun away, right? You want to give the, you want to give your child the responsibility to take care of the things that they need to take care of so they can begin to act like the champion they want to be. They envision themselves a champion that comes with responsibility. It comes with values. It comes with a thinking. It comes with a mindset. If you want to be great, you have to think great, act great, be great in everything that you do. 
how you talk to people, how you share, what you share, what you're able to do for others, how you treat yourself, how you dress, how you conduct yourself in terms of whether you're, you know, whether you're, 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 you're rude and, 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 and not nice or whether you're polite and, and kind and, 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 and respectful. These are all thoughts of a champion. Teaching your children how to think like a champion. If you want to stand on that podium or you want to play in the NHL or you want to do, you know, whatever it is you want to do, you want to be a great musician or, you know, great rock star or something or go to the moon as an as a, as a, as a astronaut, these are all doable. These are all things you can get done if you have the dream, the support, the discipline, you take responsibility for your growth, you get the guidance that's necessary. We want to make sure that we guide our children to success. We want to give them opportunities to be creative so they have an opportunity to become successful within a creative structure as opposed to something too rigid that might make it very difficult to stick to. So a little more creative. So I know some kids uh, like to train certain ways. Other kids like to train other ways. I know <clears throat> athletes, excuse me. Uh, I know athletes and uh, and musicians that, you know, they all practice differently. They all have different routines, but they're, they're you know, they, they're creative about how they get it done, but they get it done. So we're going to continue to do this for a few weeks. Next week, we're going to do some more, give you some more tips on how your kids can be great. So uh, stick with me for the weeks to come. And it makes a difference. How you approach your children has everything to do with how they're going to approach their success and making it fun for them and making it something that's enjoyable and something that they can thrive because it's easy and, and it's hard work, but it's easy because mom and dad are there for them in, in whatever form they need to be getting the affection that they need, the attention that they need, and the consistent help that they need. And most of all, you got to give your kids hope so that they know that those dreams can come true because everyone's dream can come true. All you got to do is work hard enough at it. This coming Tuesday is World Parkinson's Day. I didn't know if you know that or not. Uh, but the first clear description of Parkinson's goes back to 1817. Uh, by the mid-1800s, we knew a bunch more. By the 1960s, we could tell the chemical differences uh, between uh, the brains of a Parkinson's patient, uh, how, you know, their low levels of dopamine and so on. I don't want to even pretend to understand it. My guest, I'm sure, will help us understand it a lot more. Uh, the year 2000, that's when the Michael J. Fox Foundation was formed. We all know Michael J. Fox, an you know, excellent actor, um, starred in a whole bunch of stuff. I just saw Back to the Future, all three of them with my grandson. Uh, he was in all of those. <clears throat> and we noticed that he had some deformities and some tics and such, and uh, it turns out that he had Parkinson's and continues to uh, share, shed the light and uh, help people over $90 million worth of help and um, uh, support uh, from that foundation and from an organization now known as the PD Avengers. I am a PD Avenger and uh, it comes with, now he comes with a nice t-shirt and a hat if you make a donation and buy one. Uh, there's all kinds of things you can do to help people become more aware of Parkinson's, but it's a difficult um, disease to have. I don't believe there's actually a, a, um, a long-term remedy. I think it's something you maintain. I don't think there's, there's a cure out there, but um, my, my guest is, uh, is Larry Gifford. He's also my boss. So let's be nice. Uh, he's the national director of talk radio for course entertainment. He also is the host of when life gives you Parkinson's. It's a podcast. It's highly uh, listened to. Lots of people are listening to it. He's also the founder of PD Avengers and done a, a lot of great stuff in uh, making Parkinson's more of a discussion around, you know, more kitchen tables than before. Larry, thanks for being here with me tonight. It's all, as always, it's great to have you as a guest. Yona, it's always a pleasure of mine. Thank you. Uh, I got to tell you, buddy, I've been watching and listening and following you and everything that you post and everything that the Avengers are doing. Um, and thank you very much for the T-shirt and hat. It's it's great. I, I, I hope that uh, the donation goes to all to, to I know it'll go to do all the right stuff. Uh, but you're really um, you're really making this something that is more tangible for the average person to see and understand. Um, can we talk a little bit about that in terms of of, you know, adding your marketing touch to, to Parkinson's and what it's done over the last couple of years? 
Well, yeah. So the, the, the PD Avengers are really only three years old. Uh, there's a book that came out three years three years ago, right before the pandemic, called uh, "Ending Parkinson's Disease." It was written by four of the leading uh, neurologists and scientists uh, in the Parkinson's arena, um, and it inspired the patients uh, to launch a patient-led uh, organization to uh, take you know fellow members, fellow people with Parkinson's, and their care partners as individuals, but also work with the the organizations uh, that are providing all the services and the research and the wellness, uh, but having them work together. Because what we found is they're, they're kind of siloed and they're duplicating each other's work. And so we've now brought together 120 different organizations, uh, 6,600 members in 93 different countries. And we're, we're working towards you know bringing an end to Parkinson's disease. 10% um, of Parkinson's is handed down generation over generation through through DNA, uh, but but 90% of it is man-made uh, through the industrial revolution, the, uh, the 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 chemicals and the 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 toc toxicity that we have in the environmental issues and tainted water, the air you breathe, and it's 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 really it's it's causing a lot of harm. It's not just Parkinson's, but it's cancers and whatnot. We've seen some of those uh, issues in the headlines. I mean, you remember Aaron Brockovich, um, there yeah, was also yeah. about 10 years ago, John Travolta had a movie called A Civil Action. That was about a yep. chemical that actually is tied to Parkinson's disease. So there, we're, we're trying to, to clamp down and get the EPA in the United States and get Health Canada and all the organizations around the world like that to really crank, you know, tap down on, on these chemicals that are really doing no good for anybody. You know, um, I just want to play a clip. You were, you were sharing um, with the Parkinson's Society of BC, you were talking about the stigma uh, that you face every day. Um, and then I want to learn more about your walking sticks. But uh, have a listen. Leo? If I'm on the bus and I have my walking sticks, people would be like, uh, what, are you going skiing? Uh, and I'll be like, no, I've got Parkinson's disease. And they're like, oh, is that like... Uh, like I, I've got an asthma. That's like no, it's a little different than that. But <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's the same as asthma. God, I, you, no, you got such a great sense of humor. So your your walking sticks. I mean, I, I've seen your videos. They look very cool. Um, I, you know, it's you know not great that you have to use them, but they look very cool. And I see lots of people using them that I don't think necessarily have Parkinson's, but it's walking sticks are a thing, right? I mean, lots of people use well, them it, for see, These are actually made for people with Parkinson's, but they just look like regular hiking sticks, oh. hiking poles or ski poles okay. or, you know, I, I, I'll take them through the airport and often get stopped by security going, hey, you can't take, uh, you know, hiking poles on the plane. I'm like, well, these are different and explain to them and they let them through. Um, but, and, and gait was my first, um, first symptom. Uh, I had a wonky gait where I, my right foot, I couldn't figure out how to walk in rhythm. It would slap down. It was a drop foot. It was a sliding foot. It was a it sort of shuffled along. And, um, and that, that came on pretty early on. And it's, um, I had to relearn how to walk altogether. Um, I was going full time with poles. And now I'm, I'm only using poles now when I know I'm going to be walking a long distance or I'm going to be going into a crowded area. So why are balance these is also an issue. Yeah, why are these walking sticks different than you know the normal ones that are normal the, the the ones that I see that are more for hiking than I guess for for support? Right. So the the normal hiking stick would be uh, usually they're thinner uh, and they've got a poker at the end to grab into the dirt. Um, these have have like uh, stoppers on the end of them, like rubber stoppers for traction. Mm -hmm. They're also designed so you have to push your because people with Parkinson's. Um, the, like it's automatic when you walk your arms move except for if you have parkinson's those those the communication doesn't happen so you oftentimes see people with parkinson's not move their arm when they walk and these hiking right. poles are designed so you're not only walking but you're also moving your arms so you're supposed to reach out in front of you and pull, sort of pull back so it's a full body motion um and uh it's it, they're they're uh designed for hand grips and they're just a little bit different and they're lighter than than uh than most people are used to because they're mostly for senior citizens um, because the majority of people with Parkinson's are over the age of 70. Um, 15 to 20% of the people with Parkinson's are, you know, diagnosed younger than 60 like I, like I was at the age of 45. 
I'm talking to Larry Gifford. He, uh, we're talking about uh, Parkinson's Day, World Parkinson's Day, coming up on April the 11th. Uh, Larry is very actively involved in PD Avengers, which is a patient-led organization to help people understand and to raise money to help support uh, treatments and research. Uh, to that end, Larry, uh, I know there's been tons of money raised. Um, give us a little bit of a kind of a, a hope line on what's happening with, with research and um, some of the new stuff that's coming for those that are uh, dealing with uh, such a debilitating disease. Well, the, uh, the good news is that this year for the first year ever that they've been tracking this, uh, we have three drugs that are on trial in a phase three of a trial. And so phase one is usually safety. Phase two is right. you're, you're, you're trying to figure out if it's, you know, if you can get positive results. A lot of, a lot of drugs fail in phase two. We have three yeah. phase three drugs for Parkinson's right now that are uh, in trials in this year. Uh, which is exciting, which could mean there's some, and some of them are good considered stu- to be stuff on the horizons. My guest this evening is uh, Larry Gifford. We're going to get right back with him in a second year. What's the color of the ribbon for Parkinson's? We all want to know that. Well, the red tulip signifies Parkinson's disease. And why is World Parkinson's Day even celebrated? Because you need to observe it to raise awareness for the condition of Parkinson's. And is Parkinson's a painful disease for those that suffer? According to the medics, pain is a common uh, symptom. And how do you observe it? you got to know how to observe any holiday, right? How do you observe reach? Do some research, read up a little bit, spread awareness. And of course, my favorite one, donate. Dig into your pockets. Parkinson's uh, Foundation is out there. Search them out. I'm sure Larry will give us the uh, URL here in a little bit. Make a big donation. That's how you help. There's no cure for it. People don't all have the same symptoms. There are some early signs. Exercise can be a help uh, if you get it early enough. And uh, we're talking about spreading awareness. April 11th is World Parkinson's Day. And I want you to listen to what a woman shared as her story. as She describes how she first realized she had Parkinson's disease. Leo? About two years ago, December, I just had problems running. Like, my right leg just didn't keep up with the left leg. And uh, I sort of blew it off. And then uh, my husband saw me running and he said what's wrong with you and it's like I had a stroke. It was like you had a stroke or you did have a stroke? No, I didn't. We were on vacation. So when we got back, I finally went to the doctor. My guest this evening is Larry Gifford, National Director of Talk Radio for Chorus Entertainment. He's also the host of When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Uh, it's a podcast. It, it's a must listen to. Uh, Larry, so you shared with us, welcome back. You shared with us uh, some of the things that affected you, which was your gait, your walk. Uh, the clip that we just heard here from uh, uh, another person uh, dealing with uh, Parkinson's disease also talked about uh, you know, her walk, her run. Is that one of the more common um, I, I guess, uh, more common uh, traits that you see in terms of how well, Parkinson's manifests itself? Well, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, yes. I, I, th- I think oftentimes walking and hold, keeping balance is, is a real issue, freezing of gait. Uh, um, and, it's you know, you also get just softer slurred speech. You get lack of facial expression. Um, micrographia, which is really small handwriting that you can't t- decipher. Uh, fatigue, uh, the pain, as you just talked about, depression, anxiety, insomnia, dementia, ultimately, uh, not everybody gets dementia, but you nearly have to, uh, difficulty swallowing, constipation, you know, the list goes on and on and on. There's well over 40 different symptoms that somebody could have with Parkinson's. And I guess not, you know, the difficulty is if you could find some commonality in the symptoms, treating it would be um, a little bit easier to do. The difficulty is what do you treat first, right? Well, not only what do you treat first, but if you don't know why, how a disease is, is onset, like what's the, what's starting, how does the disease start, then you can't cure it if you don't know how it begins. So right. we're still trying to figure out what, what causes Parkinson's and then once we figure that out definitively, then finding a cure will be a little bit easier. But we also, you know, there's no there's no test for Parkinson's at this point. There's there's it's just doctors observing, which is the same way Dr. Parkinson's discovered it in 1870. It was just observing people walking. So like there's uh, no early, there's no early test for it, right? There's no vaccine no, there's, there's that no prevents it. There's no early test, test for no, it. No, no. It's yeah. it's all it's all by observation, and they they grade different things and. They make you, you put your forefinger to your thumb as fast as you can to see how fast and wide you can do it. And um, they're just looking for certain trademark features for Parkinson's onset. 
so what role is as you know you, you obviously you're you're very active you're i see your travel you're you're moving around you're doing lots of things you've got a, a, a beautiful family um what kind of role do the do caregivers or family members play in your life and play in the lives of helping to support others living with parkinson's disease you know well, my wife uh, rebecca she is uh, my partner in parkinson's uh, which is a lot of times what we call uh, care partners for people who really aren't like I'm not you know I can do a lot for myself most most I can still bathe myself I can still feed myself so she's not my caregiver but she she is my partner through this journey uh, and they're they they play a very important role I mean it's and they they have it you know the family gets Parkinson's when when the person with Parkinson's gets it because the, the whole life shifts is you know you get sudden fatigue onset and you can't you have to cancel your lunch plans or you know, different things pop up, you know, you have lots of more doctor's appointments and a lot more medical expenses or, or depending on where you live. Um, and so it's, it's changes, changes everybody's life and it's disruptive and you need that support. Like sometimes I can't even, if I'm not on my meds for, uh, uh, for very long, um, I, I'll need help getting out of bed. And so if she wasn't there, I'd have to lay there till my drugs kicked in. You know, someone listening to you that doesn't know you, like I know you, you know, would talk, you know, would see you kind of a guy on his couch and using his sticks to get around. Like, you're not that guy. I want everybody to understand you're not that guy. Uh, this guy that we're talking to right here, my friend Larry, he runs a very big uh, media operation and has and still has the time to kick ass when it comes to uh, raising awareness around Parkinson's, raising money to help support Parkinson's research and education. Like, you know, people need to understand you still thrive. You're not just surviving. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you can you can live a long life with Parkinson's and a productive life. Uh, but, you know, it's it, it, you have to manage it, it just like anything. You know, uh, you have to build in time for self-care. You know, I nap every day in the afternoon and I have to in order to maintain, yeah. you know, my 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 wellness. I love that term self-care. You know, you don't have to have Parkinson's for self-care. We teach everybody that has any issues around mental health or addiction or or dealing with any kind of neurological disease or anything uh, that, you know, you need to take the time to take care of you first. Um, and and I, I assume you have um, a set routine. Is that a fair statement that if routine is something that would make your life easier, I would guess, or yeah, am well, I way off? No, the, for sure, it starts with a routine for your medications. Like for me, I take medicine every two okay. hours throughout okay. the day. Um, and, and, then, and then you build in, th like starting Monday, I'm actually starting adding something to my routine, which is laser light therapy. Um, and so I'm doing that on my gut and my vagus nerve, and then I wear, have a helmet with the infrared light. Uh, there's actually a trial oh, cool. going on now in Hamilton, Ontario for that. Um, and wow. They're, they're trying to t test the viability of it. and. The, the devices have already been approved by Health Canada. They're out of Australia at a company called Simbex. And so I've got myself uh, some Simbex material and I'm going to try it out. Uh, and hopefully what's the desired outcome? Symptoms. Yeah, what's, oh, that's, okay. So that desired outcome is to reduce the symptoms, correct? I guess yeah. you answered the question. Yeah, uh, very cool though, right? I have to imagine that the world of technology is, is going to be uh, something that uh, you, know, you can look forward to implementing um, as you move forward. You've done an awful lot in creating the awareness through some new visuals and new graphics. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, worldparkinsonsday.com. Uh, is, uh, is is it's a sort of a shared site that the PD Avengers created for all of uh, all of our partners, uh, and it's for World Parkinson's Day, World Parkinson's Month. You can go on there and share pre pre uh, prepared graphics, or or you can download the individual art pieces and create your own graphics to share, just to build awareness. You can also go to the swag shop and buy shirts and hats and stickers and uh, just show your support for for World Parkinson's Day. We, you know, you talked about the red tulips. You know, the, the Spark is, uh, in addition to that, the Spark is, was launched last year, and it's really to build uh, to, to, to build some urgency around the cause of ending Parkinson's. You know, that's one thing we're lacking is sort of uh, motivation. We have a lot of apathy in the Parkinson's world, and so uh, yeah. we're really trying to, to build on the, uh, the, the urgency that's needed. I mean, this, this is a disease that's uh, you know, growing faster than any other neurological disease in the world. Uh, including Alzheimer's, and it's the second most prevalent next to Alzheimer's. 
and uh, it's really not talked about that much. It's not funded very well. And uh, yeah. it's, you know, it's going to double the number of people with Parkinson's today is about 10 million. That's going to double in size by 2040. So uh, there's a lot more Parkinson's uh, coming our way unless we figure out a way to stop it. Well, we're going to figure out a way to start stop it. And World Parkinson's Day is April 11th, 2023, coming up this coming Tuesday. My guest is Larry Gifford. He's the National Director of Talk Radio for Chorus Entertainment. He also is the host of When Life Gives You Parkinson's. It's a podcast that you must listen to. Donate, donate, donate. Share with your friends. Talk about it. Make sure everyone understands that Parkinson's Disease Day, Parkinson's Day is April 11th. The more we talk about it, the more there's a likelihood that someday with some hope and a prayer, we're going to find a solution for this debilitating, horrible disease, at least a maintenance drug that you know can, we can take for a lifetime so everyone can enjoy a full and fruitful life. Larry Gifford, my guest, good friend, and just a guy at his best fighting a good fight, not just for himself, but for everyone else that's out there, for the 10 million or 12 million that are suffering and for the millions to come. 